0: Our reading this evening is from Exodus chapter 12, and I'm actually going to begin at verse 12 down to verse 28, and this is the institution of the Passover, what we would call a sacrament concerning God's covenant of grace in the Old Testament times before Christ came in the new covenant and instituted the Lord's Supper. The evening's message and the next three messages are on the sacraments. Tonight is an an introductory sermon to that end, and then we will be looking at both baptism and the Lord's Supper. But this passage really reflects something of the nature of how it is a means of grace in the hands of our God. So Exodus chapter 12, beginning at verse 12 to verse 28, hear the word of God. So this day shall be to you a memorial. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day there shall be a holy convocation, and on the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation for you. No manner of work shall be done on them, but that which everyone must eat, that only may be prepared by you. And so you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this same day I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days no leaven shall be found in your houses, since whoever eats what is leavened, that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel whether he is a stranger or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwellings. You shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourself according to your families and kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and strike the lentil, and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your house to strike you. And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. It will come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord will give you, just as He promised that you shall keep this service. And it shall be when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? That you shall say, It is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt. When he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households, so the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the children of Israel went away and did so, just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. And there is to us God's holy and errant word. May he bless it as we hear it read. You know, one of the greatest problems that is a constant issue in our hearts is, is the issue of idolatry. Even when it comes to the signs of Christendom. If I was to ask you this question, what sign or what symbol strikes you as most clearly representing Christianity, what would you say? And I speculate that for most of you, you are thinking the cross. Isn't it interesting that though Jesus died on the cross, that that's not the symbols that God has given us to speak of Christianity. What are the symbols? Baptism and the Lord's Supper. Isn't that interesting? I say we have a problem with idolatry because we in our hearts... Natural fallen hearts, we like symbols, we like signs, we like things that we can see and touch and feel. with. And often what happens is that what they're supposed to represent gets lost and our hearts cling to the objects that we can see and touch and feel. That very same thing happened. A sign that was meant to display God's saving grace became an idolatry Symbol in the life of Israel. How many of you remember in Numbers twenty, in the account of Israel? Just again for the next generation, they're on the verge of going into, uh, take over the promised land, and they begin to grumble and complain again, and and uh, God sends the fiery serpents, the vipers, poisonous snakes into their midst, and. They begin to bite, uh, many and many begin to die. And you recall how Moses pleaded to God to to take away the sting of death that had come into the camp, and God told him to make that bronze serpent on a pole and hold it up, and all the people had to do was to, in faith, look to that. Bronze serpent on the pole, and they would be delivered from death. Even if they had been bitten, they would be delivered from death. And, and that happened. And do you know what happened with that bronze serpent? It became an object of worship. It became an object of idolatry in the life of Israel. And it wasn't until King Hezekiah, 700 years later, that finally that object was destroyed. God never intended it to be something that Israel used even to worship Him by. But there is the issue of our hearts. We are studying this theme about ordinances, means of grace, the things that God has given to us that He uses to bring forth the benefits and the blessings of His salvation in Jesus Christ into our lives. Things that we are to be committed to as well as his, as God's people to utilize within our lives. They are in God's hands ways and means that He blesses us in His grace and mercies. But the problem with it is what our hearts do with them. John Calvin said in respect of the sacraments of the church that as the mystery of our union with Christ is incomprehensible by nature. In other words, what he's saying is it is challenging for us to comprehend what it means to be in union with Jesus Christ. It's not something that we can simply explain and people get. As it is incomprehensible by nature, so He, so God, exhibits its figure and image with visible signs adapted to our capacity. In other words, God gives us Symbols that we are able to use to understand even better what it means to be in union with Christ. He goes on to say of the sacraments, They are a looking glass in which we may see that God dwells not only among us, but also in every one of us. And the language that he uses, I believe, is very important for us to grasp. When it comes to understanding the sacraments, it's not so much about what we are doing or getting from them, as it is about what God uses them for and how he uses them to bless us. These are the means of grace given by Christ. They are His holy ordinances, His sacraments that He uses. And I think we often forget that. It's one of the things that I really appreciate. And congregation, you have heard this before, but it bears very much in respect of the sacraments. Twice we heard it from our text. That Israel was called in the institution of the Passover to hold this feast in memoriam for the way that the Lord had delivered them out of bondage and out of slavery. The deliverance of Israel from Egypt was the great prefigurement of the work of Christ on the cross. And what were they instructed to do? They were told how they were to get rid of the leaven, get rid of that which was a symbol of sin. (laughs) And, And they were then to take the blood of the lamb that was sacrificed and put it on the doorposts and over the lentil of their homes. And then they were told, every one of you, get into your homes and be under that blood. Now isn't it interesting at that point they would no longer see what they had done but it was God who came along and you see it there in verse 13 and you see it again in verse 23 and then God says because when that is done I will see the sign and I will bless you with salvation I will deliver you and you see this that that same uh, aspect uh, that that was there for Israel regarding the Passover is something that we must regard is there for us when we come to the sacraments that, that Jesus instituted for the church that they are in his hands to use to see so that he can bless his people that, that's, that's something we neglect what are the sacraments let's settle that issue first In the New Covenant era of grace, we know there are only two. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. In the history of Scripture, in the history of redemption, there have been others. You may not necessarily think of them in the line of sacraments or ordinances, but nonetheless they were put there by God's purpose to guide people to salvation. In the time from Adam to Noah, It was a flaming sword. Entry into that place where you might find life was guarded by the flaming sword. I'm not going to explain all of these, but just for your thoughts. From the time of Noah to Abraham, you had both the ark and those who were found in it were saved. They were lifted up out of God's judgment upon the earth and the rainbow and and that rainbow being a constant reminder, and there again, when you read Genesis, uh, Genesis uh, nine, I think it's verse fifteen, you will see there that that the rainbow is set in in the sky for God to see. <laughs> that when I see the rainbow, I will remember my covenant with you. You have from the time of. Abraham to Moses, and this is getting more into what we're accustomed to, but the sign of circumcision, a a cutting away of the flesh, a, a sign that emphasized the work that God would do to cut away the foreskin of our hearts to deal with the sinful corruption that we are born in. And you have from the time of Moses to Christ, the Passover as it's being instituted here, to be an everlasting ordinance. And the way it's everlasting is how it is prefiguring Christ, who is the eternal sacrifice for His people. All of these were, were there representing in, in various ways the work that Jesus would do in saving His people. Now, I say there are only two, Baptism and the Lord's Supper. That is not without debate in the realm of Christianity. The Roman Catholic Church and the Eastern Orthodox Church have seven sacraments. Now, they are baptism, confirmation, or chrismation. That's what the Eastern Orthodox calls it. I didn't know. I knew they had confirmation. I didn't know they called it that. But... Uh, Baptism, Confirmation, Eucharist, Penance, Marriage, Extreme or Holy Unction, that is the anointing of the sick and dying, and Holy Orders, that is the ordination of men to priesthood. The problem with their number of sacraments is that not everyone participates in all of them. Uh, there's a, quite a number that only a few get to participate in. But that's the least of the problems. The problems with many of their sacraments is that they are of tradition. They are not instituted by Christ, but by men. Why we say that there are only two sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper, is because these are clearly expressed by Christ to be done in the church and by the church until He returns. They are a holy ordinance. If you have your bulletins, please open them or turn to the back. And uh, we're going to be... Uh, looking at these two questions, Larger Catechism 161 and 162. But uh, begin with question 162. When it's asked that question, what is a sacrament? A sacrament is an holy ordinance instituted by Christ in His church to signify, seal, and exhibit unto those who are within the covenant of grace the benefits of His mediation. In other words, the sacraments are holy uh, and, and Christ is the one who has set them in the church to be used by the church. And they are dearly connected to His work on the cross. They're dearly connected to the gospel. Thus, they are keys of the kingdom and being keys of the kingdom and instituted for use in the church, they're not for your own private home. You hear sometimes of men who will baptize their children in their bathtub. They're not ordained to that end, but it's done out of sentimentality. It's not a baptism. It's not one sanctioned by Christ. You hear of people who will celebrate the Lord's Supper in their homes or have these private communions. But they're not under the authority and oversight of the church. Not sanctioned by Christ. They belong to the church and to the community of God's people. Because Christ has set them apart for His church. And and they are... As, as you see in that uh, catechism question, they are purposed to represent the work of Jesus Christ in saving His people. They are, first of all, signs. You see that there. They are to signify. They are signs, a visible sign, that I would say, dear Christians, they, the baptism and, and the Lord's Supper They are more, more sacred to the church than the cross. (laughs) Than holding up a cross. Because they represent what Christ did on the cross. I know we, I'm, I'm not trying to say we can't express it that way, but I think we need to be careful that we don't elevate things beyond their measure. Which we're prone to do. They are Visible signs of the grace that Jesus effects for us. Water. What do we do with water? We we clean ourselves. What is Christ signifying with, with the waters of baptism? Two things. He is signifying His power to cleanse. And He is signifying that the one baptized is now in union with Him. And do we understand how precious those signs are? And I always like to challenge people in respect of baptism. Do you see your baptism? You don't, do you? You know it's been done to you, but do you see it today? And, and we rightly say, no, I, I can't see it. But it comes back to this point. Who does see it? You're God. Your Lord, your Savior. And in He is seeing and remembering that the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit has been set upon you. You are now His. And He hasn't forgotten that. Don't you forget it sometimes? The Lord hasn't. And He hasn't forgotten the promise that comes with it. I will wash you clean. You see, you see the import of, of these sacraments, what they're to mean for us. The same with, with the, the bread and the cup, the Lord's uh, supper, how they present to us that work of, of imputation, where our sins are placed upon the body of Christ, and the glory of his righteousness and the glory of his sacrifice that was done in our place, they are placed upon us. And they symbolize for us, they signify both the forgiveness and the imputation of our sin to Christ so that the righteousness of God may be upon us. Now those are things that we can't see with our eyes. But in the cup and in the bread, God is saying, this is what I see and what I promise to do for you. So they are signs. They are also seals, as you see there. They are there to bind what is promised by God in respect of the sacrifice of Christ. And and as these are God's sacraments, as a seal... It's God's way of saying to you that as the waters of baptism are set upon you, and as you commune with me at this table, I will do what these things promise to you. I am binding myself to you, that I will save you and I will keep you. And and the last thing, as it says there, to signify, to seal, and to exhibit unto those who are within the covenant of grace. That word exhibit doesn't mean just to display. That's more a 20th century understanding of the word exhibit. The word actually means to apply. I will apply to you the benefits that these sacraments Signify, and are sealed in Christ. You see a measure of that in our text from Exodus 12 when you get especially down to verse 22 and 23. As the the blood of the Lamb was applied to the door, door and entry of the house, God said, I want to apply the promise of this blood to all who come under it. And God wanted them to be under a sign and that in being under that sign, he would apply his grace. And what was the grace he applied there? That all who were in the house under the blood, within the covenant of grace, he would save. He would deliver. You see, it's it's the work of God. It's grace being applied to us. And that's the marvelous thing about these signs, seals, and exhibits of baptism and the Lord's Supper. In the hands of God, they are used by Him to do what they promise in our lives. Isn't that marvelous, Grace? And what are those benefits to us? Again, look at, at question 162. There are four that stand out, but it's the latter portion. What are the benefits of Christ's mediatorial, His high priestly work toward us. And there are four. And they deal, first of all, with our faith to strengthen and increase our faith. You know what faith is? Uh, To borrow Hebrews 11, verse 1, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is us reaching out with our soul to simply believe what God has said He would do for us and to lay hold of those things that we can't see or touch or feel with our hands or any of our senses. Can you see your eternal life? Can you see the forgiveness of your sins? No, those are things that we experience by faith within our souls to know God is being true to His Word. And it is with these sacraments that God comes to bestow upon us such blessing, a strengthening and increasing of faith. These sacraments actually, if I can put it this way, these sacraments give sight to to what we believe, God will wash away my sins. God will see that all my sins are upon His Son and the blood that He shed will indeed bring forth that forgiveness that I need. We can't tangibly see these things, but in the sacraments, they are there to strengthen and increase our faith in Jesus and what He has worked for us on the cross, and what He continues to do for us in our lives. They also bring forth the benefit of new obedience. You see that there, a a holy ordinance instituted by Christ to signify, seal, and exhibit an obligation to obedience. Baptism. What does baptism obligate us to? <laughs> uh, you can write down these, these verses, but if you were to turn to uh, Romans chapter 6, the theology of baptism that Paul brings out there. And he says, you know, uh, do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ, were baptized into His death, therefore we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. What does your baptism begin to work in your life? Or what should it work in your life? A desire to walk not in sin, but in righteousness. And as sluggish as you may be to that, with your baptism, Christ is working to move you in that way. It doesn't just obligate us. Again, think of this. Christ is urging you on to newness of life because you are in union with Him. And the same with the Lord's table. If you were to turn to First Corinthians 10, and, and this is a passage that we will use a fair bit in just rehearsing some of these things, but in First Corinthians 10, Verses 14 to 22. That call to flee from idolatry. Because why? Because we have communion in the blood of Christ. We have communion in the body of Christ. We no longer are part of this world. And every time we come to the Lord's table and eat and drink of Christ, Christ is saying, now flee the idolatry of this world. You no longer belong to it. Your union with Christ has separated you from this world. That's why one of our prayers at the end of the Lord's Supper is always, May we rise from this table to walk as becomes the children of God. Because Christ is effecting that purpose in our lives. And the third thing you see from that catechism question, uh, a new loving obedience. A union that we share together as believers in the Lord. Where we are, uh, as it says there, testifying and cherishing our love and communion one with another. Baptism, again... Uh, brings us all together under the lordship of Christ as a household of faith. How are God's people known? <laughs> who are we in union and communion with? Those who have His sign on them. Those who bear the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And these are ones that we are to especially regard as a household of faith and to do good to one another. The communion that we have, again, 1 Corinthians 10. The communion that we have in the body and the blood of Christ. It is a shared communion. Even though we are many, we are one body because we all partake of Christ. The Lord again uses His sacraments to teach us. Those very ones that we are to love. The very ones that He has loved and given His life for. And holiness. To distinguish them from those that are without. The sacraments as they belong to the church are given to those who come to faith in Christ. Who are drawn out of the world and brought into the kingdom of God. And now are holy. Again, you think of it with baptism. You are under the name of God. And God has, has said that those who bear His name now belong to Him. You are children of the living God. You are holy because of Christ. And again, with the Lord's table, you read 1 Corinthians 10, verses 21-22. to 22. And there. There the Lord is telling us that that we are holy and as holy people we can't drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. We can't partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than him. And what he's saying there is that the the sacraments the sacraments come and testify who is our God. The nature of relationship that we have with God. And when, when we we understand how the Lord uses them and brings these benefits into our lives, we begin to understand what it means to obey our God and to walk in His ways. To comprehend the blessings of grace that, that Christ has for us. You see, these aren't just simply symbols that we take upon ourselves baptism is not a talisman that brings you good luck at some point in your life that's superstition the Lord's table in and of itself is not able to communicate to you the grace of Christ's sacrifice they come They come in the power of Christ to either be a blessing or a judgment against us. If we participate in these signs and seals and exhibits without faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and without a a holiness before our God communicated to us in Christ, they bear judgment in our lives. If you take the name of the Lord in baptism and turn away from God and live in this world, what has God said in, in His commandment? Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold you guiltless who takes His name in vain. There's judgment to that. There's judgment to the table if we do not examine ourselves. Am I in Christ? And am I striving in my life to love Him with all my heart, soul, and mind, and strength? To walk in faithfulness with Him. To be humble and faithful and submissive to Him. God will hold you guilty for the body of Christ. But if we are, in humility receiving these signs and seeing them as that which communicates to us a knowledge and a sensibility and a holiness of the grace that Christ has for us, He will bless us. And He will bring forth these blessings of of, uh, strength and faith and obedience and loving communion and, and a holiness before this world. It's what He wants to do in and through them. And we dare not forget as uh, we come to the other catechism question there, questions 161. We do not want to forget what makes the sacraments effectual. In other words, what makes them a blessing in our lives? And I know most would, in looking at the sacraments, consider the human side of the equation. We Often in, in the church focus on what my faith exercised brings to the sacrament. We have that issue, you know, with what we term with baptism, whether it's believer's baptism or adult baptism or infant baptism. Faith in Christ is a vital aspect in receiving the sacraments. Faith in Christ is called for by us. The lack of faith brings judgment. But it isn't our faith that makes the sacraments effective. It is God. And that's what this catechism question teaches us from Scripture. God is the one who by the working of the Holy Spirit and the blessing of Christ who instituted them. God is the one who effects His purposes in our lives with these sacraments. The Holy Spirit comes and works. He is the one who does the inward washing and regeneration that baptism signifies. He is the one who brings strength and nurture to the soul and speaks to the heart of the love and joy and peace that Christ has for you. He is the one who works to accomplish in the souls of God's covenant people all of the grace and the mercies and the benefits that Christ has for you you and our faith, in respect of baptism and the Lord's table, is not what we bring to it, but in the God who is the Lord of these sacraments. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 embraces both sacraments together, but listen to what he says there. By one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, that is, into Christ. And have all been made to drink in the Spirit. It's the Spirit who works in and through these to effect the blessings of God. But they come with Christ's blessing. The blessing of Christ by whom they are instituted. As we have sung of Christ's priestly care for us, the one who is at the right hand of Father, uh, of the Father, we, we understand He, He is there at God's right hand to effect the blessings of God for His people. And in giving these sacraments, one of the greatest things that He is, is blessing us with as we receive these sacraments is that promise of Emmanuel that God is with us we don't just wear the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in our baptism he is with us even in us we don't just eat a piece of bread and drink a cup of juice of wine we are tasting Christ tasting and seeing goodness of our God. And Christ is the giver of these sacraments who by that seal and promise of Emmanuel will ensure that what what promises are bound to these sacraments, the promises to forgive and to cleanse us from our sins, the promise to fill us with His presence, the promise to keep and strengthen us, and the promise to speak peace to our souls, Christ is the one who will bring these blessings to us in them. That's why they're not simply memorials, they're sacraments, they're holy. And Christ wants us to know that peace of God and that presence of God all our days. So as we continue on in the coming two weeks to understand them a little more clearly, both baptism and the Lord's Supper, just remember, in the hands of our God, they're meant and purposed to be a great blessing to our souls. Let's pray.